You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the all-new Razor Guide Pack from Outdoor Edge has it all. Coming in at only 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip and zip saw for wood or bone. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast with your host, Andy, Nate, Micah. Your number one Missouri outdoor podcast. <laughs> oh my. So we're just throwing numbers out there? What do you I thought we could do? Can we do that? I, I mean, I thought we could. We can just make stuff up. Just make shit up. I just want to know why that came out of your mouth. I don't know. 147 episodes into, you're like, you know what? We're number one now. We're number one today. <laughs> today, we're number one. <laughs> we have no idea if that's factual. That's complete bullshit. <laughs> as, as in the words of... Uh, uh, what's that movie? Uh, Remember the Titans? You're number one in my book, Coach. Yeah. Um, we had a fun little episode today, man. We I had, like it. We had two fun ones. We, we did. One. We did have two. First, we were on his show. Then we did one for our show. But uh, we had, funny because our our show is going to come out before his. Sounds yeah. like this is going to be a useful, very useful. useful show. Yep. We're talking about deer jerky. Everyone's and the different one. ways to make it. Muscle meat, ground, ones today. <laughs> ground venison, um, his favorite recipes, what dehydrators he likes. Um, and the person we're talking to, since I didn't say that first, is Nick Otto with The Hunivore. If you do not know who Nick is, Nick is a really well-versed wild game chef, chef, cook. And his show, The Huntivore Podcast, is centered around... Wild game cooking. Yep. It's a really good show, especially if you're into cooking your wild game. You're going to learn a lot of stuff. And in this show, you know, you're going to learn a lot of stuff about deer jerky. About lot- ways to use and consume what you harvest. Yeah. And deer jerky is a very common way to prepare your venison. Mm-hmm. It's uh, probably the most common, I would say, out there. It, it's my go-to. I do I, – I don't really mess with ground anymore. I do steaks and I do jerky. Because that's what we that's eat. That's basically, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I do every once in a while. I'll uh, make like pulled venison. 
like pulled. like a pulled pork. Yep. I did. I saw. Uh, it was like one of those little quick videos online. He did a whole front shoulder, mm-hmm. and he took. He did a like a pulled pork. You know, pulled venison, whatever you want to call it. Sandwich. It, it looked really good. To me, yeah. it wasn't. It was more like a roast beef type of a. You know, like you do like the. Well, you know, roast beef sandwich, like shredded roast right. beef, yeah, um, was the flavor I got. But I've tried Dr Pepper in it, tried Bush Light, all Bush kinds latte. of different marinades. Nothing wrong with putting beer in marinade. No, I don't I think do. I ever have. But I do that with a my good idea. I do that with my chicken <laughs> a lot of times. Yeah. Um, we almost had some detrimental uh, news though, guys. What? I hit a deer with a coyote caddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did. I heard about that. You guys had quite a hunt, though, from what I hear. It was a pretty crazy night, uh, just in general. It was really, I mean, truly it was fun. So we got to take some kids hunting, uh, night hunting, thermal hunting, um, some cool experiences. Um, one of them shot his first uh, night hunting coyote. I don't know. It might be his first coyote. I, I didn't ask him. probably should have. Um, dude, nerves of steel. It just me and him, one, two, three, and bam, down, down it went. Got her done. Um Second one, we were trying to get uh, um, the, the other kid on one, and uh, we had the coyotes coming. Uh, I, they came from like 1,500 yards away, like a long ways away. Yep. I picked them up 800 yards away because that's how far I could see the fence line. Mm-hmm. They ran all the way across the field. As they're clearing like the fence line, it starts pouring rain. It did do that. Oh, and it was, I mean, raining hard. So we like, there's coyotes coming. What do you guys want to do? Do you guys want to like get out of here? Like, like, oh, we're okay. We're, we kind of ducked up in the trees a little bit, you know, a little bit out of it. And it was pouring down. They come all the way in. They kind of kind of start to circle a little bit to get our wind. And uh, I forgot to load my gun. <laughs> so, but but the girl got, she got nervous, um, which is completely understandable. She's never shot a coyote before. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of, you know. Rain, it's raining. These coyotes are running in. I'm like, hey, they're going to win. She's us. looking at a. We, we got to shoot these TV things. screen. We got to shoot these things. Like, we're, come on, we're going to have to do something. You know, kind of putting a little pressure on her. And I didn't mean to, but it was just the nature of it. They were getting ready to run. Um, her mom stepped in, took the shot. So we tried to kill both of them. One, two, three. I went click. She went bang. Coyotes ran. I don't know. We ended up killing them on the second shot. So. Um, two down and uh, i think we did three sets uh with the kids so we had a good good day and then we made the mistake of continuing the night after they went ahead and they had things to do next day called Mm -hmm. it early um we decided we were going to continue the night and that's when uh this deer decided to run into the truck it ran into the truck basically your when your insurance asked that's exactly (laughs) uh but scenic, you didn't have any damage. Scenic, I, yeah, I, you got some hair lucky, on there. Luckiest event I've ever had. We've seen this deer coming, and I started hitting the brakes. I hit the brakes enough that all of our calls, all of our bags, everything in the back of the truck Slipped was forward. all the way in the front. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, 20 miles an hour, she sticks her head in front of the truck. Bam! She spins around. I hear kind of rumble down, you know. I get stopped, get out. I'm like, ah, oh, dang it. We walk around the truck, look, like, Dude, there's nothing wrong with the truck. Holy crap. What about the deer? So we go, uh, I I hear the deer behind us, like, breathing. Yeah. Like, man, let's go back and look. And if it's, you know, suffering, let's take care of it, which I don't know legalities of that, to be honest with you. You probably have to call first, but right. we were just going to try to be done with it. We get back and it's gone. 
Yeah. Just gone. Probably just so it bounced her up, up a little you bit. You can see with skid marks, it bounced up and gone. So I don't know if she died someplace else or not. But yeah. But you said you didn't even see any blood on the truck. No. Right. So. Yeah. Oh, do you did see blood on the, like? There's the, some skid marks. Yeah, on the road. Yeah. But she's probably fine. Yeah. They get hit by cars a little, she time. Has a little, road, <laughs> little road rash. But we went on to kill three more coyotes after that. Um, it's kind of cool. The place we went, you could see for miles, and. The stuff you could see, this coyotes keep coming after it was, it was insane. But uh, yeah, we would have we killed ended up killing just one that night. Yeah, but so you guys had a lot of action two. too. Yeah, yeah, we we had action on each set, but stuff the, went wrong. Yeah, stuff went wrong. The first few, we finally finally got two. Well, one they're both dead. We found we recovered one. The other mm-hmm, one right. died somewhere. Yeah, somewhere else. But it was hit. We found the blood and tracked it for a little bit. We're like, yeah, okay. You so know, it's out of the field. We know that. We shot our longest coyote by via thermal at 385 yards. And uh, if anyone that's listening is thermal hunted, to me, that's a that's pretty a poke. Good poke. It's an impossible shot. That's yeah, lucky as shit is what it is. But uh, we had good backdrop, good everything. It was. I, I think I even asked you, what did you aim for? Uh, some spot above the a coyote. space above the coyote. Yeah, I think is what uh, you said. Yeah, yeah. A space above the Creedmoor or both of them. We don't know who hit it. Okay, one was, three, we, two, we one, two, three a lot, or three, two. Well, we one, two, three for some reason. But uh, is there booger barking at us? We'd already been busted, and the night was about over. Like, well, we got a safe shot. Let's take it. So we just let him have it, and it just dropped. So we we both looked at it like there is no way we just killed that coyote. <laughs> sure, sure. I did. feel I feel like a sucker, and you should too. Oh, I'm sure because you and Austin have the best setup of anybody I've ever I've mm-hmm. ever known. Hey, you guys thermal hunt more than anybody I know with no thermal. <laughs> <laughs> Still, our shit's been go more. It's pretty good deal. You guys are pretty smart. Uh, honestly, like deal. we should. We should kind of feel bad about ourselves because we've spent like too much money. I I, I don't feel bad at all. Cause no, it's I don't either. But no, it's still fun. It's, I would rather have my own. I mean, because there's times when I would go out by myself. But would you? Oh, would for you go sure. By yourself? Mainly that one spot that's close to me. Yeah. Because then I could just drive by. It's one that you can drive by and know if coyotes are out there. Yeah. yeah. Scan it real quick. Okay, I can go make a quick set. Yeah. Get one down or whatever. Yeah. <coughs> But uh, sorry, Let, we went down a rabbit hole. There. Yes, we did. Let's uh, let's get into our sponsors before we get into the show with Nick. Um, start with Midwest Gunworks. Use our code, new code for this year, by the way, Woods Water for five percent off. Um, I just got a new set of rings from uh, them that I needed because I went from a thirty millimeter tube on my old scope to a thirty four. There you go. So I had to buy a new set, which that that hurt a little bit. But I'm thinking about um, upgrading the stock or the handguard of my uh, six arc. I want a carbon fiber. Yeah. Make sure, uh, if it's going to be for night, make sure you get one that has got a flat bottom so you don't have flexing issues like Russell's had to deal with. I'll talk about it all here. Yeah, we'll you. talk about that later. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Midwest Gunworks, check them out. River's Edge Tree Stands, use the code Missouri10 for 10% off, plus free shipping on any hang-on or ladder stands. I need to put together that blind of mine uh, that's still sitting in your Shit. shop. Probably getting eaten by mice at this point, but hey, it's there. Yeah. Um, check them out. Athlon Optics, like I was just talking about, the new scope that I've got is Here's. the Midas Tech. Oh, yeah, Midas, Midas Tech. That's right. Um, 
That's what I'm going to be mounting on my Christensen. I'm glad I didn't sell that baby because I think I'm going to mount that gun on or mount that scope on it mm-hmm. and uh, see how she runs. Don't know how much it's going to get used, but right. I'm going to try it. Um, because honestly, it's, it's about just as heavy as my 22250. Yeah. And it's a bolt 223. The only thing is, 223 is way cheaper to shoot than mm-hmm. any of the other calibers that we've been buying and building. I'm just used to shooting semis. And now that's a bolt, so it's, I'm going to have to get used to remembering. Uh, once you shoot, man, you got to rack a new round. Having a bolt gun saved me so much money in ammo, though. <laughs> that's true. Oh, especially, I mean, <laughs> you were with Russell the other night. <laughs> I'm empty, boys. Uh, I'm empty. So uh, check them out, athlonoptics.com. Say it, Andy. Ridiculously good optics. There you go. Lucky Buck Mineral. Now's a great time to be kind of replenishing that stuff. Uh, yeah, they're starting to hit it more and more. Yes, and I my growth's going. We, we are, I hate to say it, we've almost missed the window for that winter feed. You know, we hear February, everything's dropping. However, I did just get a picture uh, this morning, I believe, um, of a decent buck still holding. Really? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I've got one or two that are still holding. But uh, either way, still be good idea to get your yeah. some lucky buck out there, so them does can start. You know, utilizing it, especially for their, uh, you know, fawn growth. Yep. I'm sure that would help out. On X, like we've been talking about, we've been using the shit out of it because of coyote hunting. Uh, it just is so nice to use. Uh, make sure you hop on their website, onxmaps.com. Use the code MWW20 for 20% off any of their, I think it's actually their elite membership. I think. Um, but, man, it's it's awesome. You know, it's the number one hunting app for a reason. It's got a lot of landowner information, um, all kinds of stuff. I like the the map where you can see which way you're facing yeah. at all times. It's just my, my yeah. brain works better that way. So check them out. And then last but not least, Camo Fire and Black Ovis, sister companies. Camo Fire, nice flash sale. You're going to have different stuff every single day. Every 24 hours, it resets. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Black Ovis is a more like your online retailer, online store. Think of it like an online Bass Pro or something like that. If you want to go find something specific that you're needing hunting outdoor-wise, that's where you need to check it out. a good chance they've got it. Yep. Especially their um, custom arrow builder setup. Pretty awesome. Pretty sweet. Arrow ID. And then I believe you can log back in if you need to reorder arrows. It's already built. Saves it in your profile. It's saved in the profile. profile. Yep. Use the code MWW10 for 10% off uh, on their stuff, man. We got them all. Let's hop into this show with Nick Otto of the Huntivore. Let's get to it. Deer jerky. This is the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast. Okay, with us tonight in the dark of his studio, uh, Nick Otto with the Huntivore Podcast. What are you doing in the dark there, buddy? I tell you what, Michigan is an amazing state. We have... We have so many things that other states can be envious of, but one thing that we don't have uh, or that we are not envious of is our extremes when it comes to weather. Uh, The whole phrase, uh, wait five minutes and the weather's going to change, that's absolutely what's been going on. We are getting probably three-quarters of an inch to a half inch of ice right now, and when you're in that sort of situation, you're playing roulette. When is the power going out, not if. So here we are, sitting in the dark, uh, we don't know when our power is going to come back on yet, but uh, we're hardy. 
up here in the north. So I got the family up next to the fireplace. They're, uh, we're playing 18th century right now. <laughs> we're going to get the cast iron out. She's going to get her hair bonnet on, and, yeah, we're going to be uh, we're gonna be sleeping by the fire tonight. There you go. We are almost 150 shows into our podcast, and this is the first podcast where we have ever been live recording with a guest, and he just disappeared. <laughs> just gone. <laughs> and he was still there. He just, everything, all the lights went out. Uh, we actually were recording with Nick for his show before this one, and um, his power went out in the middle of it, and yet the joys of hot spots were still able to do this. Pretty nice. Absolutely. As much as I hate technology, technology is allowing this to happen right now. So, yeah, full embrace, full embracing yeah. that whole idea. Um, I don't want to ever have anybody say that I'm not committed to, to something. So here <laughs> I am sitting in the dark, yep. still talking to you guys. You said that, hey, we want to have you on. All right, here I am. I am on. <laughs> Thanks, Bill Gates. <laughs> One way or the other. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, before our topic today, uh, we've actually had Nick on the show before. I wish I would have went back and looked up what episode number. It was an awesome episode. We did some cool um, recipes back then. Today, we're going to talk a, a little bit in more in depth about one really popular venison thing you Cut. can do. But before we do, Nick, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about the Huntervore. Gotcha. Yeah, I am Nick Otto, and I'm host of the Huntervore podcast on Sportsman's Empire, just along with, along with you guys. Um, there at the Huntivore, my whole ambition is using and utilizing your wild game to its utmost potential. That That is the way that I celebrate my hunting and fishing traditions, uh, whether they're new or old. I want to get a chance to celebrate that through meals, through utilization, through sharing that with others. And one of the best and shoot, one of the best ways to talk about hunting and fishing is at a table where you're offering up uh, basically a sacrifice in front of you at that point that you're offering up. This is what I went out and killed. This is what I prepared. And I want to talk to you about my experience with something that's on the table. Um, we're going to be talking a little bit about jerky tonight. It's meat treat night. And <laughs> shoot, I can't meat think treat. of any other way. Yeah, I can't think of any other way to talk to somebody about using venison or using wild hog or using bird or fish than than using uh, your hard-earned uh, catch, your your harvest, in a way where you can eat it and then share it. It's so disarming when you hand out a piece of jerky first. You know, the other person, if they are going to be one that's going to going to challenge your views on the hunting and fishing, like. They can't argue that you're not utilizing that. And what a way to, rather than extend the olive branch, you're extending the saying, hey, yes, I did kill that animal, and I'm not going to shy around that. But at the same time, look at the good that yeah. this is doing right there. How so, can you be an asshole to somebody <laughs> who gives you jerky, right? You can't. I tell you what, you can't. <laughs> it's an ice. It, honestly, it's one of the most, like, the best icebreakers in the world. If you wanted to get me into a van with no windows on it, all you would have to say is free jerky. Just shake a bag of jerky <laughs> out the sliding, like the window, and just say, yep. you know, I'm I've coming. I've never heard somebody say, man, that guy's a D-bag, but he's got some great jerky. <laughs> right. Exactly. I never hear that. Right. And it's never just one piece of jerky. They're always like, well, you I have try. had some garbage. I will say that. But um, usually at my own expense. But. <laughs> typically you're like, ooh, this is pretty good. But do you judge a man on his jerky? 
I judge him on his ability to offer me his jerky. Fair enough. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You ever had like someone just bogart their shit? You know? <laughs> no, you guys not, not like anymore. Our, our elk trip every year. No, unfortunately, this year I didn't get around to making any. I don't think we ha- I had to, we had to just buy our own beef jerky. But I made um, those this year. Yeah, you did. Yeah, That's right. Yeah. If you, you liked the it was I think it was last year. <laughs> it was last year. Yeah, that last we didn't year didn't have, have any. any. And uh, you know, usually like the year before, I made like what twenty six pounds or something mm-hmm. of jerky. A lot and of each, jerky. Each truck just had a bag, and uh, Russell usually makes some. Russell Andy, makes like some. everybody, and it's just like that's what we eat on on the way out there. You know, and then the trucks usually smell a little different like by the time we've made it, you know, halfway through Kansas. But what, what that's it, concentrated protein, man. That's, <laughs> that's gonna that's gonna stink up them vehicles quick. You know, I was gonna say there well. there is a direct correlation with eating jerky and having bad gas. So I, I don't know what it is, but you eat enough jerky, you're gonna have some bad gas. Good food make you stinky. That's I, all I know. I, I guess. <laughs> And to elaborate too, when you were saying judge a man by by his bad jerky, I would I would say judge a man by his circle of friends that will let him distribute that jerky. Mm. You got to have a close knit, uh, or at least some people that you have put uh, in your circle that's going to let you. Hey, I am trying this. Let me know and be honest about it. Because if they just give you the yeah, this is good, and then they let you walk around, they're and not true friends. No, no, they're not yeah. true friends. <laughs> you need you no need that. shame on the experimentation. It's on the guy who said this was good when it wasn't. It, you need that group of friends to call you on your garbage. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Yes. and I think we have that group. Oh yeah. If I brought some jerky that was garbage, you'd be like, I have definitely I, told I you some it. of your stuff. I'm like, yeah, that's not my favorite. Yeah. Well, and two years ago, I did a lot of. Um, what do you call it? Like teriyaki, different and, types. Yeah. So I would try, you know, this type of jerky in this bag, and this was this kind. Just trying different stuff, and uh, some of them I really was a fan of. Some, eh, I don't really think I'm gonna use liquid smoke that much many, anymore. I think I'm <laughs> a little heavy on that. But um, <laughs> anyway, so that's what we're gonna talk about today's show. Is the age old question we get it on our, you know, from listeners sometimes and different people we talk to. If you kill a deer. There's about a 97.34% chance, statistically, I read the study myself. You make the study yourself? <laughs> I made it. I made it. I totally made that number. I made it up 37% of stats are made up on the spot. <laughs> I, made that stat, I made that number up myself. Um, there is a really, really good chance that there's going to be some deer jerky made out of that venison that has been killed by you. And... There's two different ways to make it. I already know I'm going to get raked over the coals the way I make it now. (laughs) But we want the listeners to know, you know, what is like some of the best ways that you prepare jerky, both in ground venison um, and also in the, you know, the muscle cuts. So let's just start with muscle cuts if you want and get into like how you like to prepare jerky um, through that process. Gotcha. It's this is where you can really get into personal preference. Um, some people, I shoot. If I'm if I, when I want jerky, I want it to really be something I have to gnaw on. If if I'm sitting in the ball stands or shoot, I'm in a softball game and I happen to be up at bat. I want to. I love the shredded jerky. Um, when you used to be able to find it in a tin and then you'd pack it in. I'm not a chewer. I was never able to 
to basically addict myself to that. All my friends did it. I tried to be cool, and basically I just ended up throwing up all the time. I said, finally, <laughs> give that up. Go right Been into there, the done jerky. that, man. Yeah. And so I started getting the tins of jerky, but I found that it was just too much of a shredded uh, bit. So I would look for jerky, and this was before I was making it. This was still back in, like, high school. Um, I would look for cuts or jerky that was cut with the grain. If you want something that is very chewy, something you're going to have to work on, something that's going to actually, like, your jaw is going to feel it later, you're going to want to cut with the grain. And that's what I really enjoy. Um, if folks want more of a uh, folly party, I guess for lack for a better folly term. party, I like that uh, one. Tender, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> Very tender, because, I, I mean, we're, shoot, we're trying to put jerky and tender in the same <laughs> sentence, and it just doesn't work. Uh, something that does fall apart easier as you chew it, not near as chewy, you're going to want to cut against the grain. So think of it there as you're trying to make a beautiful tender steak, and when you cut that off of a large cut, you're going to cut against the grain. Uh, so for folks that are looking at that, if you're looking at a piece of meat and you happen to see... We're talking against the grain, just like you would like a piece of wood. You can see kind of where those fibers on the wood are running. Muscle is very similar in that fashion, that you can see where those are running. And so if you want something super chewy, you cut with that grain. You put your knife in the same angle uh, as those ribbons are running. If you want it to be more tender or you want it to fall apart easier not chew as much that's where you're going to turn that blade and you're going to then cross that grain so that's going to be ultimately your first step when you're going to want to be making full muscle jerky is know what you like and know what you're going for so in my case i'm going to go with the grain typically that's going to get you longer pieces uh fewer pieces but they're going to be longer and larger if you cut against the grain you're going to get smaller pieces but you're going to get more of them that's that's kind of a general statement it's depending upon the muscle shape necessarily but what i have found either if i'm using a large muscle that's when i'm going to be getting um from that is those long ribbons there's going to be fewer of them but at the same time then I only need one stick. I don't need to reach in the bag three or four times to grab the equivalents that I would go with the long cut. So that's probably your first first step is just, just to decide which way you want to go with that. What um, uh, what cuts of meat are you – What which ones do you tend to use for that type of uh, jerky? Like what uh, – do you, are you using backstrap? I know that's a sin to do a turn backstrap into jerky, but I've had it before and it, it turns out amazing or is it something that you're cutting off the hind quarter or neck what meat. piece yeah neck meat what what, yeah. what do you like to use well you're lucky i my bandwidth is a little low right now i was going to send a slap in the face via email <laughs> backstrap for for jerky micah i'll have to i'll have to you know snail mail that or something right now because i'm sitting in the dark would you like me to slap him um, can, can i do actually, it or no i can do it yeah yeah go ahead just give him a good swipe across the you know left <laughs> cheek there um 
I like the large cuts from the hind quarters. Those work out really well, specifically the top round. Um, so when you actually take that hind quarter apart, there's going to be one muscle group that's actually one of like, it's the largest muscle group that's there. That's the that's the real power push of the animal right there is going to be that that top round. Um, I actually got called out. Um, there was a question. Oh, were we on? I think we were on Hank Shaw's group, Hunter Angler Gatherer Cook, um, and there was, somebody was posing that same question. Hey, which which cut do you really like to use? And I said top round. Um, I had some guy. It wasn't worth knowing his name, but he commented on me, <laughs> and he was like, "How could you waste that piece of of meat? You could do this with it. You could do this with it. You could do." This. It basically, lectured me via. Uh, comment and at that point it was my response was okay moving on i can do, <laughs> I can do jerky too it didn't even <laughs> exactly you could do jerky as well um you know here it is i'm already sending uh a slap to micah and then i'm on the flip side i'm totally going hypocritical on this but at the same time um that muscle group is such a big muscle group that you can get a lot of it, especially when you're cutting the long ways on it, that surface area. You can get, shoot, a, a week's worth of jerky. You could get a you know one load of jerky, one uh, batch of jerky off maybe two of those cuts and then salvage so many other cuts to do whatever you wanted to do with it. So I guess going through all this for your listeners – don't be shy to use some of those big cuts on this. If you know that you've got a bang-up recipe or you want to try something that's really good, jerky is something that you look forward to eating, by all means, use some of those prize cuts, be it the the top round or even the bottom round. Bottom round has an excellent chew to it. That's another one of those muscle groups that once you clean up that silver skin off there, um, it does get worked really hard. It does get worked a lot. So it's going to have more chew to it. So you could cut with the grain. Um, you could find a happy medium cross-cutting the grain, but that bottom round also works very well with it. And then I, we're going to dive into it a little bit when you get into the ground aspect of it. But at that point, the whole deer can be incorporated once you go into a ground jerky. Um, but when it comes to the, the whole muscle, the bigger the muscle, the better. I'm going to go with the top round and then sec or bring that up. My second cut would be the bottom round as well, both from the hind quarter. Now, the top round, that's – if you weren't going to do that, that's that's something you would usually cut steaks out of too, right? Am I right or am I wrong on that? No, you get, get – you uh, with that cutting cross grain, you can get some very nice-looking steaks out of there. Um, they're going to have – a little more chew than your backstrap, but at the same time, I feel that the chew aspect, people are always looking for something that's so tender, 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 all the way along, but there's a whole eating experience when it comes to texture, and when you can find something that, A, is going to add uh, a beautiful flavor profile. I mean, this is like legitimate venison. You're, you're getting the tastiest part of the venison here because you're tasting the wildness. You're tasting the brows. You're tasting uh, that it's just not straight corn and soybean fed. As much as those critters like to hang out in corn and in soybeans, they do go brows. You're going to get a flavor profile that's super pleasing to that. And by cross-gutting uh, a large muscle group like that, you're going to get an excellent steak without having to soak it in 
a ton of marinade or I know your favorite soy sauce. We can <laughs> avoid we can avoid that and just get you know let the meat stand and speak for itself at that point. So yeah, it's a very good steak cutting uh, piece of meat. Um, I've also liked to roast uh, one of those whole and then I'll end up shaving that like for for sandwich meat instead of making a uh, instead of making roast beef. Shoot, I, we were in. We were actually at a at a campground. We had to go get some lunch meat because we ran out of what I what we had brought. So she got some roast. My wife got some roast beef, and she when she came back, she was like, "Hey, you're welcome, by the way, for the bougie stuff." And I was like, "What are you talking about?" And I happened to look on that label. It was sixteen dollars a pound. Oh my gosh, roast beef, and that's something like just not seeing those prices hardly ever because we're usually making our own. It was like, holy smokes, a little bit of a sticker shock, and it just kind of emphasized that, yeah, I want to I want to use these pieces to the best that I can. If if I need lunch meat, I'm gonna save a couple of the big ones, and we're gonna do some roast for those and slice those up real thin for sandwiches. Uh, but if I've got a surplus, if I end up with a with a couple more, I have a really good year. You betcha, we're making some jerky out of it. Now, one thing I've all I always struggled with before I started making my jerky out of ground. Andy actually just wrote down the same question: um, is the thickness of the cut. So whenever I used to make my jerky out of muscle meat, I would have some that were, you know, an eighth, some a quarter. It just depended on how my cut was. And then in the end, it took me varying lengths of time to get jerky done. How do you handle the, the thickness, um, I guess, situation? And what's your preferred and, thickness? Yeah, what do you prefer? Assuming we're dehydrating this, right? Absolutely. Or smoke. Yeah, I guess I, you could I, smoke it, yeah. I smoke We'll, we'll get into how, what he likes but yeah that's a good good point andy didn't think of that i mean depending on how you're going to cook it or you know finish it not cook it but finish it right yep and this is this is kind of one of those beasts too like i talked about a little bit on on your preference are you cutting with the grain cross the grain this is going to be another another one of those preferences uh do you like it when your your jerky has uh, a little bit of moisture into it that you're going to have a wetter jerky or is it one of those that you want uh Basically, you're making pemmican. How long can I have this sit on the shelf and I want it to be bone dry and not have any moisture to it? So there's a level of degree uh, that you can add to that. Some people like a, like a barbecue smoked wetter jerky. Others are going to want that dehydrator, uh, super no water, like Basically, yeah, you crack, you can crack it. It's not necessarily bending; it's cracking at that like point. Like a chip, almost. <laughs> Mine last year yeah. turned out like chips. Yeah. And that's one of those ones where it's just maybe maybe a little too long in the dehydrator. Um, I don't necessarily have a rule of thumb, but I aim for quarter inch. Now, is every piece going to be that? No. Um, but what that can do is I can cut a consistent quarter inch with a long slicing knife. And that's just in my kitchen. That's just practice. Uh, anybody can get really good at something if they just give them give themselves a chance to practice. So if you're intimidated by that, know that you're not going to ruin your batch of jerky because you have a couple that are an eighth inch and then one that's a little thicker. And it's just gonna, like you said, it's gonna take longer. This is that. Uh, that's that experience that you're building right here is you're figuring out how to get which thickness you want to go with and how to then to make that a consistent thickness. Do you? If uh, I got a slicer, if I have a butcher who I'm willing to pay a little extra fee and they're willing to then slice it for me, I would tell the butcher, hey, 
put it uh, three eighths to a quarter inch, and that's gonna be that's gonna be something they can go with. They can actually really get that through there. Um, and the same thing with your kitchen with a long slicing knife. I'm gonna aim for that that quarter inch. So yeah, you can get outside help or you can uh, do it in your own kitchen. But quarter is is kind of where I aim for. Do you try to when you're doing it at home? Do you try to freeze your meat a little bit? That way, it's a little easier to slice. Are you absolutely just doing, okay? Cold meat cuts better. That is whether you've taken the animal out of the field and it's now hanging up before you begin quartering and processing that animal. That's that same rule I go with: is cold meat cuts better. That if I get that animal chilled down, not only is it going to be a safe environment, you know, the colder it is, the less bacterial growth you can get, but at the same time, it just, the, the blade and the meat responds well. It, it has something to fight against. The blade has something uh, solid. When that meat be- begins to warm, now it's, it's harder for that blade to work. It's harder for that blade to cut. Now you're doing more of the work, and when you're doing more of the work, that's when you have those knife slips, and that's when you end up making jerky out of yourself instead of the piece of meat. So I would say uh, pull it out of the freezer, and you, you could either start it with a frozen piece of meat, you bring it out, and at that point you can then just let it thaw enough. You just kind of you're hanging around it, and then try on that edge. Can you slice that? Slice that with that piece frozen. If it's too hard, let it sit a little bit longer. The outside is going to start to soften more than the inside. The inside is going to stay still nice and firm, but you can go that approach. The other is if you already have a fresh piece of meat to then take it and then just chill that down. Um, I'm thinking 45 minutes in the freezer. You don't want to refreeze it by any means, but at that point you're stiffening up those muscle fibers. You can then get after it with your knife, and it's going to have some resistance for you so you can continue to keep as much of consistency when it comes to that quarter inch. You don't necessarily have to take a ruler to it, but at the same time that'll help you, your consistency. Okay. I like that. I've, that was, I've that honestly my always stalled my meat and then sliced it. Yeah. I've never actually done that, so I'm going to have to change my practice there a little bit. Yeah, and I got better, like he was just saying, through the years I started cutting it when it was not totally thought out. But, man, I'll tell you, by the time I was done, I either got lazy or I was just ready to be done cutting. And I would have pieces that I swore weren't even started in the dehydrator, but I was pulling pieces out, and then I'd have this other one that looked like it was still, like – raw i just put it in and i'm like man that thing is like three times thicker than the rest of this stuff and it's gonna be it's gonna be sitting in there by itself and you know you don't want to waste anything so you're just like i guess i'll put it back in but that was my you know now i don't have that struggle anymore but that was always my biggest struggle now do we want to move on to ground venison before we talk about recipes or do we do you have a different recipe based on if you're using ground or muscle meat um Tech, or I don't want to say I necessarily have different ones. Um, my ground venison recipes are going to be essentially out of the box. Um, with ground recipes, you can you can get away with a boxed uh, recipe or a boxed set of seasonings um, much easier than you can with the muscle um, or the whole muscle ones. The whole muscle ones you can actually get a little more creative with. Um, you can you can make your own because at that point you can go with a marinade style versus um, 
with the ground, you want to not have as much of the marinade going on. You want to be able to add the seasoning so that you can still get it through the gun. You don't want to push a bunch of marinade and have it be super wet because now you're not going to get a hold on on yeah. that jerky. When you're it, it's almost kind of like hand in hand with with sausage making. Essentially, you're making for for the ground jerky. You're making a you're making sausage without a casing. That's essentially what you're what you're making, and then you're dehydrating it. So whatever sausage mix that you normally use, that could that could translate quite well into a jerky um, because they're using a lot of dehydrated. Um, spices in there they're using uh good salt mixture those translate very well but at the same time if you've got a specific uh i really like a cracked pepper and salt i like to go simple add a little bit of garlic don't get fancy with it i think sometimes guys lose it when they make garbage it's because they're getting too fancy and if you can keep things simple kind of like that kiss method you end up with a garlic crack crack black pepper salt mixture you put that in roll it into your uh, into your mixer, get that incorporated very well. Stuff that gun uh, so that you don't have any air pockets in there. Um, put some, you know, put a put a ball in. Maybe if if you've got a two pound shooter, uh, put in a quarter pound, and then somehow find a way a plunger to just get in there, and pack that in. Add another quarter pound, add another half pound, punch that down in. The less air that you have is going to translate into a better squeeze out on the opposite side because consistency again is you're shooting that through the gun you want to have even pressure it's almost like running caulk too i guess yeah um you just want to be able to have even pressure as you're pushing that through um if you haven't packed out that air that's where you're going to get those quick little explosions little burst pops of air and that's going to rupture that that piece of jerky now Wherever it ruptured, hopefully it's long enough that you don't end up with like this this teeny little turd on the end where it's you're gonna pop that as soon as you get out of the dehydrator. But at the same time, if you can avoid that, now you have less pops, you have less less inconsistencies, and by going with a dry mix into your uh, into your into your meat. You're not also using with the back end where you're getting a lot of squeeze out of your marinade that's going to leak onto the pan and not translate to anything. So I like to stick with a drier mix when it comes to uh, the the ground jerky. Now, at the same time, if you need to wet down that to get a better mixture, by all means, use a little bit of water. I would just avoid making it too soupy if you're trying to get it into the gun. Yeah. Nice little cheat also that I learned. Don't remember who taught me this might have been YouTube. I don't remember when I first got it. but uh, So I would make all my meat into meatballs, and then I would stick them into my gun, and then I would stuff them down. And then I would put a balled-up piece of bread in the back so that when I got to the end, I could get the rest of the remaining meat out of the gun because that bread was pushing against the, the last pieces of meat instead of wasting, you know, three to six inches worth of meat or whatever. Um, that's what she said. And <laughs> now you waste, you know, you wasted a piece of bread every time you did it, but uh, that was a nice little cheat that I learned from somebody. And I like that. I like that. Hey, I will, I will waste a piece of white wonder bread any day. If that means I get three or four extra inches of jerky. Exactly. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Mike <laughs> says, Amen. Um, so let's talk, um, like what's some of your fa- what's some of your favorite recipes for a, a good tasty jerky? 
Yeah, so now I'm jumping over into my whole muscle because that's that's where I like to go. I got the one I'm definitely stealing off of uh, a guy I've been following for years, and I'm sure it's a name that that ton of people will know. Um, Hank Shaw has an amazing uh, Chipotle uh, jerky recipe. Um, I haven't been able to find a savory one that I've been able to top. This is the one that I just keep going to time after time, and it's essentially... Uh, you're making a, a really thick marinade. You're going to be running uh, some smoked paprika. You're going to be running in a bunch of garlic. You're going to be running in uh, I don't know, three or four. I'm for, it's like three or four whole chipotles with the adobo sauce in there. Um, and don't be shy on the adobo sauce. When you are making a jerky and you want something that's going to really pop with the spice, don't be shy. To really send that spice to because it's going to dull down in the dehydration process now the more that you chew it it's going to it's going to rehydrate that chili then it's going to the capsaicin is going to then be able to get to you and it's going to get spicier as you chew but on that front end if you're just trying to like if you're just eating jerky fast you actually wouldn't taste the spiciness if you didn't overload it a little bit so that i guess that's there's another tip another hot tip for folks is if you really want spice to come out, don't be afraid to add a little more than what you think you need to add as far as chilies go, as far as uh, the amount of chili flake that you're adding. Be be liberal with that. Lay lay that stuff in there. Um, Story of my life, man. The, It'll say like a quarter a quarter cup, and I'll be like, there's a, eh, a couple extra. There we go. There you go. Yes. <laughs> Let your heart do the measuring at that point. But really those flavors of uh, – the garlic and the chipotle just really pop through that. Um, I, it's on his website, but that's my go-to when it comes to I want savory jerky. It's just a mouth-watering. You eat a couple uh, a couple pieces of that, and you start to feel in the back of your mouth, you start to feel that heat, that smoky heat from that chipotle really kind of kick in, and I just really enjoy uh, that recipe. I got to toying with uh, a recipe of my own for a sweet one, and being from Michigan, um, we we share another big tradition with uh, with with maple maple syrup, and so I wanted to do a maple pepper uh, a jerky, and this is kind of like this is a story for folks that um, like you were talking with the guys that that had the bad jerky. You're gonna have a couple batches that you are gonna have to endure yourself, especially when you're experimenting, and I went. Uh, I went straight maple syrup and uh, olive oil and black pepper and salt. And I think that was kind of like my first marinade that I made. But I needed the oil in there. I forgot an, an acid element to it. So I didn't have anything. I didn't add any vinegar or anything. So the, my adhesion or my uh, absorption wasn't quite there. And I didn't have really the tack from the marinade here. The, the sugars kind of just kind of. I don't want to say they, they didn't burnt, but they definitely caramelized hard on the outside of this, and I did not get a very good batch of jerky. Granted, I didn't then send it around town because I was experimenting, but that was a good pound of jerky that I shoot. That's the one I'm just going to have to eat and uh, let the let the pup have a little bit of that. And so he he had his uh, his share of that. That was a good training, training tool there, as bad jerky can always be used for training dogs. Oh, yeah. Good but dog. Then I found they make good dog treats. Yeah, 
But then what I found is that if I if I added something with a little bit more tack to it, it's going to stick to that. And so I actually incorporated a little of molasses. So then I had mola- half molasses and half uh, maple syrup into my mix. Same thing with the cracked pepper. I wanted I went with a real like coarse grain on that. Add a splash of vinegar and olive oil, and that was a much better product. Uh, maybe it was by randomization, but I found that 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 vinegar helped kind of just break down the uh, the thickness of both the syrup and the uh, molasses. It allowed that to get into the meat. And so when I was able to eat that, I really got that sweet barbecue maple flavor that I was going to. But at the same time, I had the little cracks or little pops of uh, the the black pepper. Black pepper is something that I, that I love. It kind of, it's a spice that then opens up more on the front of the face as opposed to like the the burn on the back of the throat. Like it, you know, it's into your sinus and you feel that. You feel your nose running a little bit if you have too much black pepper. And I really kind of got that sensation off of that recipe. So that would be on the sweet side. That's one that I've been toying with as well. Um, I don't have any numbers on it yet. It's still one of those ongoing pet projects. Um, I got a batch of it that I need to make up here. In the next couple weeks, um, I want to get that stuff running here because, yeah, this is meat treat time. You know, we're in between seasons, so if you're experimenting, this is a a great time to do that. Awesome. Now, you know, I would think the most common way to cook any either of these types of jersey, whether it be whole meat or ground, um, would be dehydration. But I, I, I enjoy smoking meat, and I've tinkered with it on my smoker, um, do you have any um, a good way to do it on the smoker? I find I, I run a pellet grill, so I find that uh, I end up ruining it. Not, ruin it. It's not ruined. It's it cooks a little too hot because you can't get you, you can't get your pellet smoker to get down to those lower temperatures like you would while you're dehydrating. You know, I think that's around 160. Usually, I can't get my smoker down past 220 maybe 200 on a good day uh do you have any tips for that type of cooking yeah um those easy bake ovens that you're working with i know you didn't get one at christmas but i'm glad you got one now um i know that doesn't do me very good because i don't have any power here in michigan so i can't plug mine in um, so I've always just gone with charcoal when it comes to a grill. I'm just, I'm just messing with you, Micah. <laughs> no, I get it, man. I get it. I, uh, I got a lot of buddies that give me a lot of crap. They're all, hey, st- they're all stick I got, burners. I got one too. But you cannot argue the fact that they are just more convenient. I, Absolutely. Not Absolutely. all the time do I have the six to eight hours or whatever the case may be sitting over a stick burner making sure that temperature is right when I can just go outside, turn it on, and uh, it's going to be pretty close to the temperature that I'm looking for, besides when it gets down to those lower, lower-end temperatures. Absolutely, absolutely. So know, know that I'm just teasing uh, with a good heart because, yes, I would definitely eat whatever comes off your pellet grill. Absolutely. Um, I, with the pellet grill, too, I've, I've, I used to make jerky before I we our little group of guys – um, we each kind of go in with pieces of equipment, um, and we just kind of share it and just goes around. It's almost like a library system. Like 
or even just like a text like, hey, who's got this? Who's got the sausage stuffer? Who's got the, the dehydrator? So we've got a dehydrator that we that we tool around. But before we had that, um, I've got a uh, – my oven um, happens to be uh, – Oh, shoot, it's blanking me on, on what style it is. But anyway, I've got the fan that runs in the back of the oven, so it actually circulates like a, air. And convection? Like that there one. you go, convection oven. Um, sorry, I'm sitting in the dark. Learn something new every day. I didn't two know that cocktails <laughs> in. It's just one of those nights. Um, but, yeah, I've got a convection oven, and it's not going to do me any well good right now because it's, it's also electric. Um, but what I made was a little brace. I actually used a bolt and a magnet and a couple nuts, and I then would prop that. I would actually push that bolt onto uh, the regulator button that would say, hey, your door isn't closed, so I'm not. So it's not going to run the fan. I would shortcut that, and I would just brace the door open a little bit, pushing that button down, and now I've got a way for that air to vent out. Hmm. So I was getting my oven. It was in that same setup with the pellet grill. It would run too hot, like a... Even at even at 170 was the lowest that I was getting on the the meter or on the the display. I know it was warmer inside of there than it actually was. So by propping that, you're gonna let that heat roll out. That's gonna also whisk away that uh, moisture quicker. So if you're using that oven, that's a great style. I wouldn't necessarily do it in the summertime because it's just going to get real hot in the house. Uh, maybe do it on a cold winter evening, like, you know, you got time to do it. And this is a, a great time to do that as well. I wouldn't necessarily uh, walk away and just leave your run oven running with the door half open. But if you've got the, the electric convection style, that's a great way to use that. And that can apply over to even to your smoker. Are you going to run through more pellets? Yes. This isn't going to necessarily be a very efficient cook, but if you're able to prop up your uh, your cover or your door on your, uh, your pellet grill, you're going to let some of that heat out. And with that heat, it's going to carry that moisture. So maybe if, are mm. we going from 220 to 200? Yeah, we're still running a little bit hot. But now we're moving that air. The moving air is going to be more important, I would say, than the temperature. Can you make it in 220 uh, with moving air? Absolutely. It's just going to be something you're going to have to look at personally. Do you like yours to be a little more tacky with the barbecue? Then it's going to be a quicker time. You're not going to have to spend too much time uh, out there with it. But at the same time, if you like a jerky that cracks, if you like it super dry and you're using a pellet grill like that, that's going to take longer. But you'll be able to prop that door open and get more of that air moving. So I like it. before I ask what your preferred method is, I'm going to ask you, because I'm sure you've seen a million of these. Do you have a preferred dehydrator that you like? Um, there's a lot of different styles out there. I like the drawer ones just because they're easy to clean um you pull out the drawer especially when somebody leaves stuff in them <laughs> absolutely <laughs> oh man you thought yeah well nate here he was gloating about what does he got he's got the big one the 10 drawer 12 going on 12 drawer holy smokes shoot everybody bow before but him. i will say i only had before i got that for christmas my wife bought that no my my in-laws bought that for me for christmas um before that i used to borrow micah's 
and his was a tin is a tin yeah uh tin drawer um dehydrate and i really enjoyed it but because i have went to um using ground venison i have found that two pounds of my ground venison i, I have them in two pound tubes um makes three drawers of meat so i'd have three six nine and i'd have an extra drawer empty right so by getting the 12 drawer then i can make two four six eight pounds of venison and fill up all four or all 12 trays with that dehydrator awesome. which is why i went with 12 um for christmas instead of that because they had a 10 option i believe also yeah. um it was an extra 50 bucks and another stu- some setting that it has that i'll never use but yeah, um, but that's what I like, but I was curious. I mean, you know, there's so many options. For someone who's wanting to get into dehydrating who hasn't bought one, what would you go towards or steer clear of? Um, smaller residential uh, dehydrators, they make some of these circles where the, the trays stack on one another. If you're looking for something, shoot, you want to do it this weekend. And you don't want to spend top dollar on a 12-drawer dehydrator. You want something. Maybe you're going to get into jerky making. Maybe you're not. That's a great way to start out with. Issue that I don't like about those is that when you have to, um, when you've got to take it apart, it's, it's one of those things like you, everything stacks on top of one another and it's not self-holding. Where you have the drawer, it's going to be self-holding. Uh, I can pull out one drawer at a time, see the pieces that are there. Are they dry? Are they not? Pick off what I need to. I can then slide that back. But the others are still in the dehydrator, still working. I haven't interrupted any of that process. When you've got the ones where they stack on top of one another, where you literally have to then pull them off and then uncover them, it just makes one more headache. Uh, it takes some more space for you to have to, to worry about it. The stackable ones are just a little bit, they're cheaper, but at the same time, they are, they're harder to manage. Now when you get into the drawer one, are you making the big expenditure? Yeah. And with a dehydrator, it's really a buy once, cry once scenario. Buddy of mine, he got the 10 drawer. And it now, because I've got a piece of equipment he uses, it now becomes one of those things that we share. So if you're not even wanting to get one yourself, but you've got another piece of equipment you're looking at, maybe you get that and you just find someone that has a dehydrator that's willing to share it with you. Now, if you are going to share it, it's going to come out what's nice about the drawers. You pull out all those drawers, you slide them right into the dishwasher, you put that sucker on uh, regular, and they're clean. You don't have to spend a lot of time getting it in nooks and crannies. You can wash all those drawers, slide them back into the unit, and I would make sure to have a bag of what you made in the dehydrator when you return it. Put that on top, <laughs> send it back to the guy, and then you're going to be more likely to use that again the next time. So you have these different options. You've got dehydrators, smokers, wood pellet smokers, ovens, ovens, ovens. all these different ways to make jerky. What is your preferred method of dehydrating your jerky, whether it's muscle meat or ground? I know Nick Otto has a preferred method that he has perfected. What is your way to do it? My perfected way that I like it is going to be out of the dehydrator because it's a unit that I can have working without having to interrupt anything within the house and in the kitchen. The 
The oven would be my number two for the fact that it it's something that I can stick in the oven and it's going to work just as well. I like a crispier, chewier piece. I don't like a wet, I don't like a moist, uh, tacky piece of jerky. That's where I'm going to get those off of a, a smoker. So I tend to steer towards things that are going to give me a drier, crunchier, chewier profile. And that's where the oven will come in. Uh, and do a good job, but yeah, my my home run setup is going to be with a dehydrator. Awesome. I found, like we kind of talked about in your show, you know, I used to be big into trying to make my own seasonings and everything, um, but I found that when I started using curing salt in with my mixture, that helped out a ton, just in flavor all general. What is it about the curing salt? that elevates it to that next level and do you find it to be necessary yeah yes this is i'm glad you brought this up because if you want something that's going to be shelf stable for a long period of time cure can be the cure for (laughs) a lot of ailments that you're going to come along with um the problem with cure is is that you can use way too much and that's not good for you. Now, there is a lot of things that I consume and eat that are not good for me. Is that going to stop me from doing that? No. Um, one of the things is that Cure is a carcinogen and that it is, ha- it, it, it is a nitrate and a nitrite. And what the problem is, is they're going to talk about, is that that is a cancer-causing ailment. The problem is, is that the amount that you need to have in order to to cause these things is it's you would need to literally have pounds and pounds of it to really have an an impact saying all of that i would still be very cautious and i would do do your due diligence and research how much are you going to add to your batch and the number that's popping up off the top of my head is going to be 1 teaspoon per five pounds like you don't need a lot of this you get like a one pound bag off of an online retailer or from your butcher shop or wherever you pick up your your insta-cure uh it's gonna last you forever because you're not gonna go through it uh like a butcher shop is gonna go through it you're gonna go through minuscule amounts at a time um other than that, i think the the decimal conversion is per per pound i think it's point zero to five ounces you might have to correct me on that one if I, I can't think of that but anyway there's a decimal conversion as well but at the same time the one of the, the ways that i have found out that it's easy to go with is just one teaspoon per five pound batch what that does now adding cure a it's going to help um with the basically slowing down all of the bacterial growth, basically halting that right away. So if you were going to use Cure and you want something to last you a long time, that's where you're going to want to use it. It also does a really good job at adding a red hue to meat. It it reacts with, with meat and with protein to where it really gives it a rosy red color. Um, if you were to look at pastrami or you were to look at... Uh, corned beef or even corned venison, uh, that red hue that you get when you slice into that cross-section, that beautiful pink that you're looking at, that is caused by cure. 
Uh, so you're going to want to – that's going to be one of those enhancements too. I think it does have a little bit of a flavor punch, much like an MSG would, is that it's going to – it's going to just brighten up whatever sauce or spices or marinade you've had in that. Um, it's really going to do a great job with aesthetics. It's going to do an excellent job with, with preservation. And then, yeah, I think the, the verdict is still out on whether it does anything with your, your flavor. But at the same time, you eat with your eyes, and if you've got a beautiful red hue to that jerky, it's just one more thing that makes it super appealing. And Cure does because I know there's listeners out there that were like me when I first started uh, doing jerky. Cure is different than table salt or Absolutely. or other types of seasoning. It's I guess it's its own item within your arsenal of seasonings when you're when you're making jerky. Yes, and I would not even consider this a seasoning. This is just this is an element. This is a byproduct. I don't I don't want to say a byproduct. This is a product you're putting into to increase shelf life, to preserve the meat, um, and it's safe as long as it's used correctly. Way back when, when they used to then basically yeah, make the pastrami or the corned beef, they would use saltpeter, and that is a nitrite, I believe. But anyway, that stuff was super potent, and there were a lot of people that got some ailments off using uh, saltpeter. In fact, it's kind of hard to find now uh, if you're going to use it for culinary purposes. And that's where, through, you know, I mean, just through the way food is made, cure became a, a way, a safe way that we could then preserve meat uh, in the same way. If we still want to continue to make uh, smoked products uh, or charcuterie or whatever we're trying to do where we're we're having that meat want to have a, sh- a shelf life. And that's where the that has come into play. So it's that nitrate and nitrite reaction with the meat, uh, preserving it, keeping back bacteria. Uh, that is it's a product that, um, again, yeah, read up on it, check out on or do your do your due diligence and research on it. I like to use it when when it comes to jerky that I'm going to leave on the shelf for a long time. I do enjoy a really good pastrami that I make out of my venison, and I definitely use the cure then. Uh, so yeah, if you're looking for shelf life, it is a it's a great tool to use. They do make several different types of it. Some of it's like an instant cure, and then some is a longer brine cure. And so I would, again, check your labels on that. So if you were to do something like a pastrami where I'm going to spend a couple days in a brine that I'm wanting that to soak, there's a specific cure for that. If I want to be able to mix something together in a marinade that I'm going to be making jerky, then I'm going to want to go with more of that insta-cure because I'm going to go from that wet emulsion that I've made in that marinade to the drying rack and begin that process right away. And if you have made, you know, like for our elk trip, um, you know, I've made or we've all made large amounts. So let's say, you know, 20 pounds or 25 pounds worth of jerky. And sometimes we're making it six weeks or, you know, a couple weeks, let's say, before our trip. Freezing the jerky is okay. Because that I, I feel weird leaving jerky out even if it's been cured, right? So, um <laughs> I, after it gets done, I'm like, hey, we're not leaving for two weeks. I freeze it, and then, you know, the day we leave, I get it out, and it'll be thawed by the time we're on the road. But 
What's your um, is that what you do when you know you're gonna have a large amount or it's gonna be a while before some people might eat it? Yeah, um, I had a great conversation um, with a friend in Minnesota, and we were talking about fermentation, and we were talking about um, just the way, the biome of our guts right now as a society. Like we live in a super clean environment super clean homes we're, we're constantly washing our kitchens kitchens we're washing everything we're washing our hands which we should do anyway i guess but it's yeah. such a clean <laughs> sterile environment compared to what it was decades ago so it's funny you bring that up that you're like something in the back of your head is just as you look at that that bag of meat it's been dehydrated there is no metabolic processes happening. It's cured. It's been salt brined. There, nothing's going to happen if it sits on that counter. But there's something in the back of your head that says, I, I got to do something with this. <laughs> yep. And so throwing throwing that into the freezer is perfectly safe. Um, one of our big reasons that we don't like to do meat in and out of the freezer is the fact that you're going to get purge. You're going to get the buildup of ice crystals within the meat, and those act as little knives, and they end up hitting all the, you know, punching the cells. And so then when you then thaw that out, that purge that's in the bag, that's actually made from those ice crystals that were made. The more often that you do that, the more leaching that you're going to get out of this piece of meat. That's where our freezer burn comes in is because it's been zapped of all that moisture and now it's succumbed to the elements of the freezer. With your jerky, you took away all that water. You took away all that moisture. So when it freezes, there's nothing in there for it to create an ice crystal or there's not the space for it because it's been dehydrated so much. So in that said, you take a big one gallon bag of uh jerky I, I would do the old straw method stick it in the corner suck out as much air as possible because uh space a because you just want to you know get all the air out of the uh out of the ziploc bag but at the same time space is valuable when it comes to a freezer so if i can shrink down that bag i'm going to do that so i'm going to stick that in the corner suck out all the air finally pop out that straw close that up and then put that in the freezer and use that to whenever you want uh, whenever you need that. The other way you can do it is leaving leaving things in Ziploc bags can eventually cause a problem. We haven't taken 100% of the moisture out of those, out of that jerky, and for the sake of uh, a jerky style that is more moist, it's got the barbecue on the outside, it came off the smoker, it's still going to have some of that residual moisture in there, it's going to be more chewy as opposed to like gnarly and you know, hard jerky style. Then if you leave that in the bag, that's where you can to begin to develop uh, like like a mold. Because, like, again, you didn't put that into You put it into a bag, but maybe you had something on your hands or whatever. But anyway, mold can happen when things start to stick together. And a Ziploc bag is a great way for things to stick together. So if you've got a smoke jerky or one that's a little more wet but you've used a cure and you've already salt brined it, having a container that's firm and that those pieces can stand and move around in and not be stagnant. Basically, they get um, 
as long as air can move in around that, actually more air movement is better. So if you've got one that's not necessarily airtight, but some plastic cylinder that has, you know, holes in the top of it would actually work better than a plastic bag. But at the same time, if you guys are hauling plastic bags to your trip, this is a great way to be able to take that. Keep those in your freezer. That's a great safe way for those to be there. Pull them out, and heck, you got a little bit of time with those. If you stash them in your cooler, it might even add to keep other things cold for half the trip or so. Yeah. I mean, bottom line, when we make our jerky, it's going to be eaten pretty yeah. soon. But that's the only time I've ever had where I'm like, man, we're not – you know, you're trying to prepare for your trip, so you're like – I want to get this done so that I'm not doing it two days before we leave. So you do it three weeks or whenever you have time before the trip. And then you're like, mm, I don't want this to sit for two weeks. So that's when <laughs> that's the only time I've ever froze jerky in my life. Typically, if we make jerky, we're going to eat the stuff. Um, Absolutely. You know, that's so. a tough part about jerky. Once you once you break open the seal of the bag, because I, I end up vac sealing mine. And I've, I've done kind of like similar where you've done. I've done a big bag, but then I've also done individual bags bags and yeah it does use up a lot of my my bags but i purposely buy extra bags for this but i'll i'll get them into like a like a lunch size or a snack size so that i can then stack them in my freezer like just like you did and i'm going to spend more time they're going to spend probably a couple months in there but it's one of those things where i open the door i grab two for the trip throw those in the lunch pail and now i get to share those with people but i still have my main stash back but like you said in your scenario the jerky is all coming with you. And, yeah, so couple, you know, week and a half or whatever in the freezer, that ain't going to do nothing to it. Right, yeah, that's awesome. Well, Nick, I mean, you guys got any more questions? I'm, I'm good. I'm ready. So when I got my deer done, jerky is probably the primary way my family will consume venison. Same. I mean, all of them, which is crazy to me because. Yes, it is what it is, right? Right, it, yeah. whatever. So I had the, the the butcher we go to. You can get it into jerky meat, and they will just cut it, get the silver skin off of it, and I have blocks of meat essentially um, to run through the slicer and and start. Uh, oh, really? The jerky so process. you slice it? Yeah. So okay. my mom has a slicer. I borrow just on the same principle. Uh, I have the dehydrator, so I'll uh, you know you can set your just whatever Thick, yeah. thickness and slice it and. Uh, I like experimenting with different recipes and just having at it. Yeah. Um, But, Um, yeah, I mean, I think this was a great episode to, you know, give that that person that is, you know, jerky. I think that's uh, how a lot of people consume venison for whatever reason. You know, uh, my family is the same way. My wife is really odd. I love her. But she's really odd about eating, you know, if I made deer meat tacos, all of a sudden – it's not very good, but if I make jerky, they love it. You know, it's, it's the same exact thing. But anyway, um, that's how a lot of my family consumes it. So it's it's what I've spent a lot of my energy on getting decent at with venison. Um, you know, vice versa. I haven't had venison steaks in years, and these are the first ones my son killed that now I'm sitting here going, oh, God, this is going to be – I hope I don't ruin them, you know. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> So I thought this would be an awesome show for, you know, the listener to kind of say, hey, if I want to go off into that – that uh, jerky world, how do I do it? Do I use muscle meat? Do I use ground? Do I? And that's why we wanted you to touch on everything so that um, the, the listener can get a start however they see fit. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, this is, shoot, I'm going to get my soapbox on right now. This is, such, this is such a cool way 
to utilize your catch and your harvest. And just like you guys were saying, like, how does my family eat venison? How is it not going to go to waste? And one of the ways that you guys have found is we enjoy the meat candy of it. The fact that you were going to get not only to share it with your family, but you guys eat it and then you share it with each other. That is the true sense I think that hunting really needs to celebrate at that point. Yeah, you're going to talk about the antlers and you're going to show off the mount that you have of that deer, but at the same time, that same story is going to get brought up because you made this specific jerky with that specific animal. That story comes up as you're chewing on that piece of jerky. Those memories come back to you. And just as we were talking earlier, um, is that, what better way to have a conversation with somebody? Hey, it's going to be a tough slog out debate. Not to say we always come up with these debates, but at the same time, like if it's going to be something where you have to sit down and you have to have a really hard conversation, nothing is better than an olive branch of a snack stick or jerky or something. What a great way to disarm that whole idea of why we hunters do what we do. And it's because we're here to, for the, the greatest meat that we can get our hands on. In fact, that we're the first people to put hands on that animal, and we're the people responsible for using that. And there's no other greater display of that responsibility than being able to make jerky. Yep. You got it, man. So before well said. We, yeah, very well said. Before we hop off, um, let people know where they can listen to The Huntivore and check you out on your social media platforms. Yeah, I am a part of the Sportsman's Empire, so you'll find me there wherever you find podcasts at. You'll find me along with those guys. I'm on the same feed. Uh, I am on Instagram as my primary. I I try to display a lot of what I'm experimenting with, like what I'm doing, what's working really well. I try to show that off. Uh, but at the same time, um, the people on my show, uh, we're just trying to use Wild Game better, or it's going to be someone who can help us find a way to use our wild game what element am i trying to improve on uh whether that's going to be yeah making fermented sausage that's been something i've been doing uh this winter or is it going to be yeah i want to come up come up with jerky we talk about basics kind of like this episode uh or am i doing something so far elevated that i'm you know pulling something out of the italian kitchen i'm going to go there i'm going to try it out and i'm going to try to translate that into whatever we're trying to make, whatever it's wild, whether it's wild hog, whether it's venison, or whether it's something from the water, we're going to give it a shot. But anyway, that's that's our whole gist. And uh, I'm doing trying to do more with Go Wild. I love the uh, the idea that they're trying to send that, hey, this is an, ele- an area to celebrate hunting and fishing, and I'm all about that. If we're going to celebrate our hunting and fishing, let's do it, but let's also uh, bring our plates along as well. Well, give us a follow. We'll do the same thing, Missouri Woods and Water on Go Wild. The Huntivore, Nick Otto. Thanks for joining us tonight, man. Hey, awesome. Thank you, fellas. All right, we'll see you. Thanks, Nick.